when I was in college, um, I was living in Tennessee at the time, and a group of my friends and I went on this um, road trip to Florida for the summer. And on the way there, everything was fine. And on the way back, um, my friend Gavin and I um, were driving back, and then my friend Ashley was in the back seat. And we're driving up I-65 North, and everything's going uh, well. And we had just stopped um, to switch drivers. And so I was driving now, and Gavin was sitting next to me, and he was asleep. And we get back on the road. Um, and as I'm driving, I notice that something goes wrong with the car, and it just won't go anymore. And it's really alarming, and so I pull off to the side, and I get to the side of the road, and I'm waking my friend up, and I'm like, get up. Um, and I'm like, what's, you know, what's the problem? What's going on? And um, he says, do we have gas? And I look, and I'm like, no, uh, <laughs> we don't. We're out of gas. Granted, we had just stopped for him to switch, so whose fault is it really um, that we were out of gas? Um, but my friend Gavin knows a lot more about cars than I do, and so we popped the hood, and he started looking in at the engine, and he, you know, touched a few things and tweaked a few things, and after doing that, guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> you know why? Because we're out of gas, right? So the solution depends on the problem. The solution depends on the problem. And last Saturday, I'm in my driveway. I go to start my car. It won't start. And so I had to jump it to get it started. I drive around for a little bit. I go to the store. I get out. It won't start again. And so I got out, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Okay. Last time this happened to me, 15 years ago, it just needed new gas. And so I just put gas in it, and then it worked great. No, I had to go get a new battery. Why? Because the solution depends on the problem. Before you know what medicine to give someone, you got to know what they're sick with, right? We're in this series called The Good News of Christmas. And we're talking about the fact that on the night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared and announced, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel announces good news. Not good vibes, not good advice, but news. Something has happened that is good. And the thing that has happened, the event that has taken place is the birth of this child. But why was that event good news? And is it still good news today? That's what we're talking about in this series. Last week, we saw that the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to save sinners. He said it like this in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the question is, how sick are you? 
Jesus has come for sick people. The prerequisite to being his follower, the prerequisite to knowing God is not being good enough, it's being sick enough. Today, the question we wanna ask is, so how sick are you? What is your sickness? The reason that matters is because the solution depends on the problem. If Jesus is the doctor who has come for sick people, in order for him to cure you, you've got to understand what your problem is. In today's text, Jesus diagnoses our sickness and then tells us what we need to do about it. What we're going to do today is start towards the end of this passage because that's where Jesus diagnoses the problem. And then we're going to go back through walk through this text and see what the solution is. And then we're going to talk about what to do about it. All right? So John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus references this event where Moses lifted up a snake. Do you know that story? I didn't. I had to look it up. Um, it's a very short, little obscure story in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 21 is where it happens. Basically, Moses had led the people out of slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land. While they were on their way to the promised land, God was feeding them with this bread from heaven called manna. And the people got tired of eating the same thing every day. And so they started to complain and curse God and curse Moses. And they started to reminisce about how great it was back in Egypt when they were slaves. And so here's what happens. Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. That's the story that Jesus is referencing. Moses mounts this pole with a snake on it. And when you were bitten, when you were poisoned, you could be cured just by looking up to this snake. That's the story he references. He says, just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, must be lifted up. 
And this little phrase, lifted up, refers to his crucifixion. He's saying, the cure for the Israelites when they were bitten by the poisonous snake was to look at the bronze snake on the pole. The cure for the world is to look at the Savior on the cross. So that's the solution. But in referencing this story, Jesus is also giving us a clue about what our sickness is. What do we need a cure from? Our basic problem, in the words of Coldplay, (laughs) is that we've got all kinds of poison in our blood. We've got all kinds of poison in our blood. That is true of me and that is true of you. That there are things, there's something in me, there's something in you that leads me to harm myself and harm others. There's something in me that, that leads me away from God and towards my own thing. There's something just in me that causes me to naturally pursue darkness. Even at times when I want to pursue the light, I, I, I pursue darkness and I end up hurting myself and other people. There's poison in our blood. It's as if we've been bitten by a poisonous snake and we are dying. So how serious is this sickness that Jesus came to heal? It's terminal. We are dying because of this poison that's in our blood. And as John Mayer asks, will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? In other words, can I, can I do something to get rid of this thing that's in me? Or is it always in the blood? That's what Jesus answers for us in this text. Jesus says our most fundamental problem is we've got poison in our blood that's killing us. We need him to do something for us because it won't wash out. Look at verse one. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse two. This man came to him, that's Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So this man named Nicodemus, it says, was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. This was a man who was very respected. He was very educated. He was likely wealthy. He was a good man. He had known a tremendous amount of privilege in his life. He had also been a great performer. He had done a lot of good things for others. It's a good guy. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, 
which is kinder than some of the other Pharisees called Jesus. So he comes, he's meeting him with this, um, you know, name of respect, rabbi, teacher. And then notice this, he says, we know, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. You might underline that little phrase, we know. Who is he representing here? He's probably representing a small number of Pharisees who were intrigued by Jesus. They were intrigued, but they've already come to a conclusion about Jesus. He doesn't say, here's what we think about you. He says, we know this, that you are a teacher who has come from God. And the reason we know that is because nobody could do these miracles that you're doing if God wasn't with him. But by coming to Jesus and saying, we know, he's already kind of closed his mind to some things about Jesus. Jesus is just a teacher in his mind. He's calling him rabbi, and he says, we know you're a teacher. He's already formed a conclusion about Jesus. Nicodemus himself was a teacher. And he's coming with a preconceived idea about who Jesus is. We're not sure why he came that night to Jesus, because Jesus interrupts him with his own thought. Here's what Jesus says, verse three. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I'm gonna tell you the truth. If you wanna see the kingdom of God, that is, if you wanna see the fulfillment of all God has been doing for the nation of Israel, if you wanna see God make things right on the earth, if you want to see that day, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a new birth if you want to see it. Nicodemus replies, verse four. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And I don't think Nicodemus is being serious here. I think he's being sarcastic. He's not such a literal thinker that he's like, uh, well, how could, new birth? Wow, what, how would someone, he's just being snarky. He's saying, okay, so I'm just, do you want me to climb back into my mom's womb or what? This is a traditional way of reasoning in the Jewish community. He's asking a question, he's challenging. And Jesus answered him, verse five, truly I tell you. Now he's going to further describe what this new birth is. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So first, Jesus said, if you wanna see the kingdom of God, you've gotta be born again. Now he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born of water and the spirit. What is he talking about? Later on, Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus that he should understand these things as a teacher of Israel. And that means that what Jesus is saying to him 
is plain in the Old Testament. It's something that Nicodemus should be able to discover by reading the Hebrew scriptures. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel prophesies. God is speaking. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. The new birth that Jesus is talking about is this birth that was prophesied by Ezekiel. The new birth is being washed, being made new. It's being forgiven of your sins and freed from their power so that you can walk with God. That's the new birth. Jesus says, anyone who sees the kingdom of God and anyone who enters the kingdom of God, if you're gonna be able to see what all of history is moving towards, when God steps in to make all things right, if you're going to see that, if you're gonna live to enter that, you're gonna need a new birth. You're gonna need to be made clean. You're gonna be you're going to need to be forgiven and freed. Jesus begins to describe this. Verse 6. He says, Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, humans, flesh, give birth to flesh. That's basic, right? The spirit gives birth to the spirit. If you want this new birth, it's not going to come from your family of origin. It's not going to come from climbing back into your mother's womb. It's going to come from God. It's going to come from the spirit. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Verse 7. So do not be amazed, Nicodemus, that I told you that you must be born again. Verse 8. Now he begins to describe it a little bit more. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This new birth, Jesus says, it's like the wind. You can see once it's happened. You can see its effects but you can't see it. You can see what it produces, but you, you can't see it. And this is, of course, Jesus was talking before modern day meteorology, but the point is still the same. That this new birth that Jesus is referring to you won't always be able to see it when it's happening, but you'll know when it's happened. You won't always be able to see it coming, but, but you'll see once it's come. 
If you're confused, you're not alone. Nicodemus said, verse nine, how can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. This, is, this little question is just him saying, I don't understand. Help me understand this. What are you talking about? Jesus says, verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel? Literally the teacher of Israel? And don't know these things, Jesus replied. Now Jesus is gonna put him in his place a little bit. Verse 11, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. You remember how Nicodemus started. We know that you come from God, you're a teacher, nobody could do these miracles. Jesus says, hey, maybe Nicodemus, right now is a time where you should take your teacher hat off and put on your student hat. We know some things. And who is Jesus referring to? I think that he's referring to his father and to the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says that the Holy Spirit will, will instruct us according to truth to testify about Jesus. I think he's also referring to the testimony of the Holy Spirit's words in the Old Testament. He's saying, I understand something that you don't, Nicodemus. In verse 12, here's why he understands it. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Why does Jesus understand some stuff that Nicodemus doesn't? Why does Jesus understand heavenly things? Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus says, the reason that I am qualified to tell you about these heavenly things, the reason I am qualified to tell you about how to enter the kingdom of God, the reason I'm qualified to tell you how to see the kingdom of God is because I'm the only one who's come from there. I have descended from heaven and therefore I know heavenly things. So just as Moses, verse 14, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Why do we need to lift Jesus up? Why is Jesus the one that people need to look to? Because Jesus is the one who has come from heaven. Jesus has descended from heaven. Then all of this is summarized in the most famous verse in the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him 
will not perish, but have eternal life. God has sent his son, Jesus, for sick people. How serious is this sickness? If you don't get his help, you will perish, he says. This poison that's in your blood is killing you. But Jesus has come to save sick people. Goes on, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. How serious is the sickness? It's killing us. So what is the solution? Jesus wants to give you a new birth. A new life. To summarize this, I wrote a poem. Do you want to hear it? All right. Everyone's dying because of sin. Everyone needs to be born again. That's it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, clearly not the poet. Um, everyone's dying because of sin. Everyone needs to be born again. Nicodemus, when he hears this from Jesus, is shocked. Why? Because Nicodemus lived in a world that's a lot like our world. In Nicodemus's world, you are granted access to things based on your birth and your behavior. You're granted access to things based on your birth and your behavior. Or another way of saying that, you're granted access to things based on your privilege and your performance. And Nicodemus was a man of tremendous privilege and performance, tremendous birth and behavior. And so he's shocked when Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you need a new birth. That's not how the world works. Think about it. In our world today, just like Nicodemus says, you are granted access to things based on your privilege and your performance. Um, Think about how the country that you were born in has affected your access to basic resources and to opportunity in the world. Did you decide where to be born? Nope, you were just born somewhere. 
And depending on the nation that you're born into, it affects the kind of access to opportunity that you have. This is also true for the family that you were born into. Based on the family that you're born into, it influences who you're connected to. Some of you have experienced being able to get into a program or get a job because of who you were connected to just by nature of your birth. Some of you know what it's like to miss out on an opportunity like that. That's the way the world works. This is even true for your birth order. Depending on where you were born in the family can determine what kind of access you have. If you're the oldest, maybe you get the first right of refusal to an inheritance that your family left you. You have the opportunity to buy the farm before the others can decide, are we going to sell? Why? That's how you were born. You were first. This is also true of your genes. Some of you have been able to do some things in life just because of the genes that you have. You were naturally enabled to be able to do that thing. Others of you have missed out on doing some things that you would have loved to do because of just how you were born. You would have loved to be a pilot, but your eyesight wasn't good enough. So you're out. You're granted access to things based on just how you were born. At times, this can be true of your ethnicity, your gender, your wealth. And it's not only true that your, your birth or your privilege grants you access or denies you access to things, but also your performance, your behavior. If you want to get into college, make good grades, have a good resume, be good at something, network well enough. If you want to impress the leader, work hard, perform well, show up early, leave late. If you want to get into the relationship, then be likable. <laughs> perform. In this world, just like Nicodemus says, we are granted access to things based on how we were born and how we behave. Our, our privilege and our performance so do you recognize how serious what Jesus is saying is? In order to enter the kingdom of God, you are so poisoned that you have to have a new birth. You are not fine the way that you are. Regardless of how much privilege and performance you've demonstrated in this life, or regardless of how little your birth has granted you and how little your behavior has granted you in this life, either way, you are not fine the way that you are. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You need a new birth. So what Jesus is saying here is radically exclusive. It is radically exclusive. No one is automatically in. No one. Your privilege and your performance will not get you in. 
You were born as an American, doesn't automatically get you in. You were born into this great family, doesn't automatically get you in. Your dad was a deacon, your grandfather was a deacon, all the way back to Adam, y'all were all deacons, doesn't automatically get you in. Super healthy, you're white, you're black, doesn't automatically get you in. You're a man, you're a woman, doesn't automatically get you in. You're wealthy, you're poor, doesn't automatically get you in. No one is automatically in. This is radically exclusive. You've put in your time and you've come to church every week, you don't automatically get in. You've been a really kind person, you bake cookies for people every Christmas, you don't automatically get in. The only way in is to be born again. You need a new birth to enter this kingdom. So what Jesus is saying is radically exclusive, but it is also radically inclusive. Anyone can come in. Anyone can come in. Your privilege and performance or lack thereof will not keep you out. You've disappointed someone, you've let someone down, you've embarrassed yourself and your family. You're not excluded. You're invited. You're not a church person. You count lights during the sermon. You're invited. You're not smart enough. You've got terrible grades. You're not wealthy enough. You don't live in the right neighborhood. You're not on the right side of town. You're not athletic enough. You're not attractive enough. Or you inherited wealth and it, you just feel guilty about it. Either way, you're invited. No one is automatically in, but no one is automatically out. Anyone can come in. And here's why. Because entrance into the kingdom of God is not based on your old identity, but a new one. Entrance into the kingdom of God is not based on your old identity, but a new one. You worked hard, you built this big business, you sold it, you passed it on to future generations. That's an awesome story. It won't get you in. You feel neglected, you've made some poor decisions, you've made a mess of your life. You've left yourself unlovable even to yourself. It won't keep you out. Why? Because entering God's kingdom is not based on your old identity, but a new one. This identity you need to enter 
the ID that you need to be able to show to get into the kingdom of God is received from Jesus. And the way that it's received is by faith. Faith. Jesus says, look, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will be saved. Think about how simple that was for the Israelites. Step out of my tent, I'm about to die. Look, I'm good, all right. Back to work. Jesus says, look to me, lift it up on the cross, and you'll be born again. You'll have eternal life. This is the good news of Christmas. That God's unique only begotten son has come to the earth so that sinners like us could have a new identity, so that we could be born again into a new family and granted access into the kingdom of God. Listen to John chapter one, starting in verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, speaking of the Israelites, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Jesus has come to give us a new birth so that we can be saved from our poisonous heart and brought into God's kingdom. Charles Wesley summarized the good news of Christmas well when he wrote, Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. So let me ask you, Have you received a new identity? Have you been born again? The way that you can be born again is by repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus. To repent of your sins means just simply for you to recognize I've got poison in my blood. There are things about me that 
lead to destruction. There are things about me that lead me away from God. And God, I am sorry for that. That's what repentance is. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. What has Jesus done to save you? What is it to believe in Jesus? It's to believe this, that even though you have sinned and wandered away from God, God loves you and sent his son, not to condemn you, but to save you. And the way that Jesus saves you is he lives a sinless life. Every standard that you need to meet, Jesus met. And then he goes to the cross and he dies in the place of sinners so that sinners can be forgiven and freed from this poison. And Jesus does not stay dead. Jesus is raised from the dead in a new resurrected body He's witnessed by hundreds of people and then he ascends to be with the Father in heaven where someday he will return to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes the second time, he comes to judge. That means today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to be born again. Believe in Jesus, the one who has come. Have you received a new identity? Have you been born again? Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Are you living out of your new identity? If you've been born again, are you living out of your new identity rather than your old one? Where do you find your comfort? When you hear about scary things on the news or on your news feed, when you get overwhelmed with the stress of life, where do you turn for comfort? What drives your ambitions? When you get to sit down and make new plans, when you get to think about what the future could be and you start to work towards that, what is driving the ambition in your heart? What makes you angry? What kinds of things anger you? How you answer those questions reveals something about which identity you're living out of. Is it your old one or is it a new one, a second birth that comes from Jesus? We want to be a church that is alive to the things of God. We want to be a church that celebrates new life not just when we baptize someone, but also in how we live. This is why we want to be a church that is 
word-centered. That is, we want to proclaim God's word because it's God's word that gives life. We want to do that when we gather together. We want to do that in groups when we get together. We want it to be normal for us to talk about God's word together. Why? Because we're people who, who have been born again. We have a new birth. We want to be a community that loves people who are different than us. Why? Because our differences are based on things in our first birth. Our differences are, are things that are the result of our performance and our privilege in this life. We want to be an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth so that people who are different come together as one, so that different ethnicities can come together as one, different generations can come together as one, different socioeconomic backgrounds can come together as one here, not because that's what loving people do, but because that's what a loving God has accomplished for us. We wanna live out of our second birth here. We want to be a church that is faithful in prayer. Why? Prayer is a waste of time if you're in control. But if God is ultimately the one in control, and if the solution that the world needs is a new birth that comes from the Spirit of God, then we should plead with God to move and act. We want to be part of a movement that only God could accomplish. We want to have a gracious spirit towards sinners because that's what God has done for us. And we want to be about global missions because this new birth is for all the peoples of the earth. God so loved the world. So as the band comes up, I'm going to pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this to give us new birth and to help us live out of our new birth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would be active now. If there are those who have heard this message today who do not know you, would you introduce yourself now? Would you awaken faith in Jesus, in hearts now. And God, would we all be awakened to the good news God, would we be a church who is known for being born again. It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?